Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Unlocking your sleep potential, brought to you by cleanmybed.com. Right, so welcome to our second episode of our podcast on sleep science or sleep health, whatever you like to call it. It's all about getting a good night's sleep. And uh, today, as usual, we have our, our regular guest, our co-host today, Dr. Jill Warner, who's been uh, with us throughout the series. And uh, she's going to be doing a podcast later on in the series, particularly around the allergy side, but she's co-hosting with me today. But uh, we have Dr. Dale Ray, who is the director of the Sleep Science Center at Cape Town and a senior lecturer at the Division of Physiological Sciences at the University of Cape Town here in South Africa and has been a guest on the Science of Sport podcast before um, but literally lives in this world of sleep and sleep health and all those sort of things pretty much every single day. Um, that, well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Just tell, tell us br- briefly what you do in terms of sleep science at, at where you are now. Your, what is your job essentially? Okay, great. Uh, thanks and thanks for having me, Mike. It's uh, great to chat to you about sleep again. So I guess I have a dual purpose when it comes to sleep. Um, on one hand, I have an academic role at the University of Cape Town where I teach around sleep, but I also do a lot of research. And that's obviously a huge passion. And I'm fortunate that the area that I'm researching is something that I'm extremely excited about. And then I also am the director of Sleep Science, which is a company uh, outside of the University of Cape Town, which offers sleep related services for individuals, sports teams, companies, etc. So I really do get to apply what we learn in the real world. So what is, what do people, who comes to you and why do they come to you? So the individuals that come to us can be general man on the street who's struggling with sleep, uh, with with known or unknown sleep disorders. It can be um, athletes who are looking for that little bit of extra edge in terms of their performance. And it can be companies who are wanting to Um, have a look at the sleep of their employees because we know that that's got such a big impact on workplace productivity. And that's that's an interesting one. So the the average person comes to you and what do they generally come to you with? Is it it the fact that they can't sleep the whole night or is it insomnia or is it the fact they've got sleep apnea? Is Is there a percentage of people who come to you with certain conditions? Yeah, um, it's a range of things. I suppose we often see people that are a bit at the end of their tether and they have usually tried many different things, very often been to many different specialists and haven't really had any satisfactory progress. So for the most part, they do tend to be insomnia-related issues, um, but very often in our sessions with them as we unpack their sleep story and we we learn about their history, we find um, other things that are at play. Um, there might be obstructive sleep apnea, might be other things like restless leg or narcolepsy, and very often actually sleep-wake circadian-type disorders. So it's a bit of a mix, but primarily insomnia. So, I mean, I always wanted to ask somebody who does this sort of research, do you have a room where people go and sleep and you watch them with cameras for the whole night? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought they were, that was the true thing about this. Yeah, and, um, so there are different types of, or different ways in which we can study sleep. So for sleep research, we 
We do um, do what's called uh, polysomnography, and that is where the person will sleep with, um, hooked up to the to an, a number of different monitors, and um, a camera may be um, indicated depending <laughs> what we're looking at. And um, that can be in the laboratory, but we actually prefer to examine sleep in the home-based environment because we think that that's more natural. So very often, then we'll use a portable kit which people can take home, and we can look at at their brain activity, for example, while they're sleeping at home. But more commonly, we use little wrist-worn devices to look at people's habitual sleep-wake patterns over a number of days, because that gives us a lot more information about their their usual sleep. Yeah, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So let's talk specifically what we're going to be talking in this podcast about, and that's around athletic performance. And uh, before we start chatting to you, we've got a very interesting interview that Jill did with uh, Rake Netling, who, of course, to South Africans is very well known as our, as our freestyle gold medalist at the Olympic Games, but of course was a world-class swimmer back in his day. Well, I am absolutely delighted to be speaking to uh, Rake Neatling, South Africa's gold medal winning freestyle swimmer, um, and to discuss with him the importance of sleep in his athletic performance. Um, Rake, thank you so much for talking to us. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, could I ask you, when you were swimming for your country at world class level, did you consider, did you think about sleep as an important part of your training programme? Hi, Joel, um, and it's really nice to be here. Um, absolutely. I think, um, you know, recovery is such a big part and and oftentimes, uh, you know, I think overlooked aspect of, um, of high performance, uh, you know, training. Um, so sleep was extremely important. I think from when I was a young, you know, you know, just a young swimmer um my mom always you know you know tell me to take a nap um in between the heats and finals and you know pretty soon that became the uh you know my routine and um it would it you know it would signal if i had a good nap it would usually you know signal some some form of record breaking performance um you know in the finals so um back then and this was late 80s early 90s i don't think there was a lot of studies yet but even just in practice i in i instinctively knew that you know sleeping was um you know was extremely important and then as i progressed in my um in my career and in between my first and my last olympics um i competed in four olympic games more and more studies came out and just how important and, and, uh, you know, when, when to sleep. Um, so, um, extremely important. I think the one risk though, is, is that, that, um, uh, you know, what would happen from a psychological point of view, if you didn't manage to sleep. So, you know, mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, Olympic village, you, are staying with you know ten thousand other athletes. Maybe there's some noisy ones. Uh, you know, luckily at the Olympic Games, the swimming is the first week, but uh, maybe you're competing on 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 day eight and on day five and six. Your your noisy neighbors, you know, they finish competing and they keep you up all night. Are you going to be you know from a psychological point of view? Are are you going to be resilient enough to still compete? Um, or you know whatever 
know, reason that you couldn't sleep, but uh, extremely important. And I think it's something that there's still a lot um, of, uh, you know, studies to be done to understand exactly, uh, you know, the importance of it. And, and, and especially, I think, you know, the timing of it and, and uh, you know, how much is enough, um, yeah. you know, how long before um, uh, I've, I've overslept, well, I've overslept most, most races from jet lag. Um, you know, uh, I've slept too long, you know, in the day, you know, naps and then l like a little bit lethargic where, you know, sometimes just a little cat nap can do wonders for performance. So, so I think, um, yeah, it's uh, it, extremely. It can help you. I love the idea of trying to take a nap whilst you've got your fellow competitors celebrating what's happened to them. That must be really hard, right? How would you go about, I mean, if in that situation, when you're in an Olympic village, for example, and, and that sort of thing is happening, what would you actually do about trying to be able to sleep or to catch your nap when other people around are not at the same um, point in their competition as you are? Yes, I think that comes with experience. Um, uh, you know that you have to you have to be aware, and that is what training is all about, right? Is is to to put yourself in situations to when you get to the actual event that that you've trained to be able to do that. So. So that just means that when you go to competitions that, um, you know, that you embrace, uh, you know, adversity. Sometimes you put yourself under adversity. Uh, you ask your family to put your, you know, to put you under um, you know, adversity and to, to teach yourself uh, a few triggers in, in order to be able to sleep. I think what, what I used to do is to really visualize um, so I would have a routine, uh, depending on what race, what I, maybe what I struggled with. Um, I would just, you know, visualize, you know, something positive, uh, in, in, in extreme detail. Um, and, uh, halfway through it, I would fall asleep. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, uh, you know, earplugs just to, just to keep the noise out. Um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Try not to be in a place where there's lots of light, um, but uh, extremely important. I've got a, I've got a interesting story of um, just how how important sleep and how determined um, we were. Um, and my 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 former teammate, his name is Lyndon Ferns. He he was the second swimmer on that relay when we won gold. Um, he was he was uh, he almost got aggressive over his sleep. You know, if he didn't sleep enough or somebody woke him up, he he would get really angry. And we were in Omaha, Nebraska, and it was uh, I think it was in August, July, and it was the tornado season. And uh, I had never experienced a tornado before in my life. And uh, we were in the hotel, and about two o'clock, we heard the sirens going off. And uh, myself and Lyndon, you know, we weren't sure what it was. Um, we turned the air conditioner up so the fan would, you know, um, make a bit more noise. We put our earplugs uh, in and we went back to sleep. The next morning, we realized that we were the only two in the massive hotel that didn't go into the shelter for the tornado. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I love it, right? <laughs> uh, so that, you know, the two South African boys, uh, we didn't pay too much attention to the sirens, but um, we had a job to do the next day in the pool and uh, we were just really determined to you know, to get to our sleep.
<laughs> and I'm sure that was the day you won and everybody else had sat in the, in the, uh, in the area away from everything all night. <laughs> yeah, no, the, you know, there's some, there's some interesting stories, your teammates, you know, like I said, a guy like Lyndon was, was, uh, uh, very passionate about his sleep and, and, uh, could only room with me, uh, I guess, because I also enjoy the sleep. So, um, yeah, um, um, but yeah, you know, I think it's progressed quite a bit, you know, from those days. And um, uh, but yeah, it's extremely mm. important. You, you're mentioning environmental factors, Rick, and um, obviously people understand. Oh, it must be light. You mustn't have looked at a screen too long. You 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 mustn't be disturbed. And um, were there any other particular aspects of you know your your life or the environment just before sleeping before a big competition that you would say were particularly important for you? Um, I think the other thing is that that uh, you know a nice cold room. Um, you know, for me, it was always important. Um, I think just to be in a positive state of mind. Um, you know, also obviously what you what you consume, what you eat, what you drink uh, is very important. Um, you know, one of the, of of the big challenges that you have when you get to a competition is is that um, you know a lot of times uh, in swimming um, the final of your race might be half past nine, 10 o'clock at night, your heart rate goes over 200. So it's this incredible spike of all the hormones and lactic acid and, and, you know, that you can imagine. Then you have to swim down, you have to get drug tested. Um, you have to eat something. You often get back to the hotel, um, half past 11, 12, you're excited. You broke a record. You, you, you won an Olympic gold medal and then you have to try to fall asleep. Um, maybe you had a coffee or two, maybe a Red Bull, uh, and then you have to get that caffeine out of your system and try to calm down in order to recover for the next day. So those kind of spikes and up and downs, um, uh, you know, is a challenge. Um, there's, there's a, a, I think it's quite, you know, well documented about the Australian swimming team and their, um, they're over reliance on sleeping pills, uh, and again, the next morning that that creates a different, you know, problem where you 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 feel a bit lethargic, and then you need something again to pick you up. And uh, absolutely. so, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, taking those those pills, it's very very hard the next morning to be totally on top of what you're doing. It's a, they create a fuzz, don't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just thinking about international um, travel, Rick. Do you feel that um, now there's more of, of a thought about the fact that jet lag can influence your performance because of sleep being very difficult at the wrong time of day or night? Yes. Um, again, I think I really think it's a little bit easier now. I think there's people understand it you know, a bit better. I think it's easier to travel these days um, when I was... Um, I think there's better connections when when I used to travel. Uh, you could go through Heathrow, maybe Frankfurt, uh, you know, Dubai, uh, you know, Qatar and Turkish Airlines, um, and you know the lounges and and how the aircraft you know used to be. <laughs> I'm you know I'm really going to date myself here, but my first international trip, I went to Greece and there was a smoking flight, uh, so people were still smoking on those 
on those aircraft. You can imagine what it would do to your um, to your performance. But um, Ray, yeah, I, I think can totally, totally um, uh, coincide with you on that on that one. Um, I remember going to a conference um, on an Alitalia plane, and one side of the plane was smoking, and the other side yeah. was not. Yeah. All the way down, yeah. so there was no avoiding it. <laughs> It's like the smoke is going to stay on the one side. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think the athletes are, are traveling, um, I think, a little bit better, um, you know, with that understanding. The, you know, the rule was always, um, you know, one day for each hour um, that you had to that you had to be in the location before just to just to just to be able to recover. Uh, I spent 12 years of my life in Tucson, Arizona, where I went to university and then, um, and then I worked there. So, so that's a nine hour time difference to South Africa. So I had lots of practice and, uh, was almost had it down to a fine art form to, to be able to deal with, you know, jet lag. And I think there, um, there are some great apps now where, where, um, you know, if you stick to it, then, uh, you know, jet lag, um, really doesn't have to affect you but uh yeah just try to stay up for as long as possible go for a walk you know try to stay in the sun for as long as possible um and just yeah just don't take that nap it, it doesn't matter how tired you are um <laughs> just try to stay awake as long as possible to be able to sleep yeah. through the night yeah no i i i totally with you there it's uh, it's not the easiest thing but it is really interesting now how people are taking more notice of it and there are help uh, there is help for people to 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 do that rick i'm going to have to ask you now that i know that um as well as as the swimming you're now becoming a polo player now that's a very different um scenario to when you're swimming you're swimming by yourself now you're mm. riding and you're part of a team with a with a, a horse at the same time how do you think about that when you go to sleep the night before a tournament and you're playing i think it's pretty much the same as you know with swimming i think i think i think even more so with a horse and you know with the team and 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 with your grooms you want to visualize you know everything from from when the horses um you know leave the stables that everything goes well um um so i think there's even more to visualize and you know that's what i do um and it helps me with my sleep so um so the horses I, are helping yeah uh, you know i think i'm i'm fortunate maybe i'm just lazy that i don't have new techniques but you know that the techniques that help me to get to become an Olympic champion, I can really apply that to, and I do apply it to everything that I do, even in business, as a as a as an amateur polo player um, or enthusiast. Um, uh, you know, just to visualize myself on the horse, uh, to be able to take a nap before you know a game, um, um, just to go through that routine. In, in 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 the different practices that I have that you practice what you want to do in the game so yeah so I just I just pretty much do what I've been doing for the last you know 30 years is just now on on top of a horse 
<laughs> right, that's fantastic. It really has been lovely talking to you and thank you so much for spending the time. Um, I know people will be fascinated to, to hear about the techniques that you used in, in such a pressurised environment. Um, and I, I, I'm sure there'll be lots of people um, following you now in, in your, your new um, area as far as um, uh, the polo playing and other important uh, sports that you're getting involved with. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. So plenty of things to tackle with with uh, with Rake. And, and let's first of all start with the fact that obviously sleep was very important to him. The first thing is how important is sleep for recovery in athletic performance? Yeah, it's it's absolutely critical. And I mean, already in 2008, there was an article which was published which described sleep recovery um, as being the new frontier in high performance athletics. So, I mean, athletes are looking for marginal gains, as you know, and um, I think originally people thought that sleep was important for performance and to a large extent it is. I mean, we, we can't deny mm. that, but I think the real gem um, in terms of what sleep can do for athletes is that it promotes recovery. So when we sleep, there are a number of processes which happen biologically, which allow us to adapt to the training that we've been doing. Um, not to mention the importance of sort of making sure that your immune system is is um, more than intact so that you don't obviously um, get sick or become overtrained. So that's really critical. But um, from a recovery perspective, there's now some lovely evidence that's coming out to show that when you have good sleep following training, uh, you really do uh, become stronger and adapt more, which means that the next day you go out and train, you can train harder than the guy next to you who hasn't had the same amount of sleep. Really interesting what you say, Dale, about the effect of sleep on your immune system, um, because I think people don't always always consider that, that if you don't sleep well, you actually don't have a good immune response to the triggers around you in the environment. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, sure. So um, sleep and immunity are just inextricably linked, really. And if I were to extremely crudely define your, or divide your immune system into two components, the um, innate and the adaptive immunity, the one part that's your um, innate immunity is primarily dominant um, when we're awake. So that's defending us against like inhaled, ingested, absorbed pathogens. That's useful because we're in contact with many pathogens during our, our waking time. But when we're asleep, our immune system switches roles so that this um, adaptive immunity becomes predominant. And that part of your immune system, for example, creates antibodies that you need to defend you against these viruses or pathogens that you're exposed to. And another component is that your immune system then also trawls your body looking for damaged and mutated cells and destroys them. So by having sufficient sleep opportunity and specifically probably um, the deeper stages of sleep, we afford our um, immune system the time that it needs to get this incredibly important background work done so that we are healthy and that we can um, handle the, um, uh, the stresses that are and and the, well, the physical stresses really that are associated with our just being human. <laughs> so there's almost two elements to that recovery. One is the making sure your immunity and your immune system is working well versus also the physical recovery of exercise. Yes, absolutely. Because mm. when we sleep, we um, hopefully get um, into some nice deep sleep. This is non-REM stage three sleep. It's also known as slow wave sleep. And um, most of us, we should do about 20% of our night should be in the slow wave sleep. And during slow wave sleep, we produce growth hormone, for example. 
And that's really important in helping our muscles adapt to the training stress that they've had. And so we take deep sleep really seriously when it comes to athletes because it is an incredibly important part of making sure that their um, muscles can can uh, strengthen and adapt to the training that they've done. Do athletes need more sleep? And how do you know what type of sleep and how long you need to sleep for? Yeah, they absolutely... <laughs> Yeah, they absolutely do require more sleep. So the, the guidelines at present for adults sort of are that you need seven to nine hours of sleep. Um, for some people, six is necessary and other 10 or 11 um, is actually ne- is necessary for those. So the- 10, 10 or 11? <laughs> yeah. Really? Wow. And so um, when it comes to athletes, they do need more than the general population. Absolutely. So when I see an athlete who is sleeping seven hours, I'm deeply suspicious. Um, I don't believe that that is going to be enough if you've got a high training load to sustain that training without you running the risk of either burning out, um, going into overtraining, or just not um, performing as you need to. So you can, I'm not going to put a number on it. I can't say athletes need X amount of hours more because it will also depend on the stage of training. You know, mm. perhaps when you're in your base training, your sleep need is not quite as high. When, once your training wraps, ramps up, then up goes your sleep need. And so it is actually quite cyclical as well. And then obviously you need to make sure that you are well slept ahead of events. But if we go back to the athlete's sleep need and how do you know how much they need? So, um, I mean, the, the key is to look for a couple of indicators if you're at your sleep sweet spot. One of them would be that on your off days, if you're extending your sleep, so we call that catch-up sleep, by more than an hour and a half, then that means that what you've been doing in the days before has been insufficient. So that's one... So in other words, that's waking up when you wake up rather than having an alarm waking up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, And normally that happens for most people on weekends, um, but for athletes it's a little different because very often you've got training and competition on weekends. So Mm. it's just literally on the days where you're a little bit more free. The other thing to look for is falling asleep too quickly, funnily enough. So we should take five to 20 minutes or so to fall asleep. And if you're crashing when your head hits the pillow within sort of a minute or two, that's a sure sign that you're in some form of sleep debt and that probably your duration isn't sufficient as well. Um, so those are two of the key markers that, that we look for to, um, to understand if a person's um, at their sleep sweet spot. The other thing, of course, is how you feel in the daytime. And if you feel um, refreshed, rejuvenated, you should literally, within 30 minutes of waking up, you should be good to go. You should have loads of energy. You shouldn't be dreading training sessions, absolutely. Um, and you shouldn't be procrastinating during the day and sort of thinking, well, I'm going to do the easy tasks because I'm taking it easy on myself. Um, those are all signs that mm. um, probably you aren't um, recovering as you should at nighttime. Mm. Rape talked quite a lot about naps, Dale. Um, and then listening to you now to saying that the important part for recovery is is the deep sleep. Where does a nap come in terms of the sleep cycle? Oh, I'm interested to hear this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so naps are slightly contentious, um, but let's let's think about it like this. So for the average person, we really don't um, usually advocate for napping. Um, we prefer people to do one consolidated nocturnal sleep. We're designed to sleep at night, essentially, and ideally our nighttime sleep should be good enough. Um, There are um, cases where we grant people a nap license and athletes um, fall into that category simply because very often their sleep need is so long. It may often be 10, 11, even 12 hours in a 24-hour period. It just physically may not be possible to get that all at nighttime, especially when you have to wake up early for training sessions. 
So in those cases, then we definitely would advocate for napping for um, for athletes. It just relieves a little bit of that sleep pressure and fatigue that accumulates more quickly for them during the daytime. And it's, while it doesn't necessarily have the same benefits that we would get from our nocturnal sleep, it can do a lot for mood and a lot for sort of mental recovery. And those are important factors to consider. So from that perspective, we don't mind um, some napping in athletes, just the duration and the timing is actually really important though. If the napping is too long or too late in the day, then you inadvertently delay your bedtime, which then constricts or restricts your nighttime sleep. And then you're in this vicious cycle where you keep needing to nap to try to top up your your overall sleep duration. So it can be quite a useful um, strategy um, how long, probably in, in the realm of sort of 30 to sort of 60 minutes is, is good. Um, if uh, Sometimes um, athletes will need a little bit more, um, closer to 90 minutes, but it really just depends on where they are in their training cycle. So the critical thing, as you say, is to make sure that that nighttime sleep still remains quite robust. And you're not basically, as you say, that's, a, that's an interesting component because I think there was a temptation is you sleep in the afternoon and then suddenly you're going to bed at 11 o'clock at night because you can't fall asleep in time, which I, I guess yeah. is what you don't want to happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So the first rule is your nighttime sleep has to be in tip top shape and only then are you permitted to put a nap in if you still need extra sleep for recovery. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, when you talk about those the measuring of sleep and you've given the signs of when somebody's not... Um, sleeping well or needs more sleep you talked about the fact that you can on your rest days you can sleep through until you wake up in the morning gives you an idea of where your sleep is do you are you do you must you measure your sleep there's always that thing about sleeping before midnight and after midnight is about the time in other words if i go to sleep at 11 o'clock at night and i'm an athlete and i sleep till eight i'm still getting x amount of hours in terms of that sleep but i'm having it later and waking up later does it make a difference that so there definitely um, were some thoughts uh, some time ago that people were sort of preferring some sleep to happen before midnight and at the very least because they would say oh you get better quality sleep before midnight than afterwards and I'll explain why that's a myth now but actually the most important thing is to sleep in sync with your own body clock so when I speak about your body clock I'm speaking about our body circadian rhythms those are the 24-hour rhythms and each of us has a slightly different rhythm, but um, essentially what your body clock does is it determines your preferred timing of sleep. So I'm sure you've heard of the term night owls or larks, mm. morning people before. So if you're a lark, then having an early bedtime, maybe nine o'clock, for example, and being up at five, that's ideal. Now, of course, you've got three hours before midnight because that's when your clock has decided that it's your best time to sleep. Whereas a night owl could never fall asleep at nine o'clock. You would actually create a pattern of insomnia if you tried to do that. They often need to go to bed at midnight one, sometimes even two in the morning and be left to sleep the next um, as late as possible the next morning. Mm. And so the, the first rule of thumb here is to actually sleep in sync with your own clock. That's when you get the best quality. It's not around when that magic midnight occurs. And probably the, the reason that that myth um, uh, sort of surfaced is that when you look at sleep, the first component or the first part of your sleep, the first third is when you do most of your slow wave or your deep sleep. And so they were probably looking at that and saying, well, that seems to be happening before midnight, so it must be really important. Mm. But it would happen regardless. Do, do certain kind of athletes benefit in different ways when it comes to sleep? Because obviously when you talk about sport, there's rugby players, there's right nettle and polo players was a swimmer endurance athletes skilled athletes do they benefit in certain ways from that sleep 
Yeah, I guess we could think of it in those um, terms. I mean, obviously, we always think about sort of the adaptation of muscle because that's that's what athletes are doing, but um, in terms of their training. But the other thing is probably to think around skills that require um, sort of coordination and precision. And um, one of the things that happens when we sleep is that we strengthen neural pathways that we made use of during the daytime. So if you think about an athlete who is deeply reliant on um, very... Um, a lot of coordination, for example, um, or very complex motor patterns, then all of these pathways in your brain that you made use of during training need to actually be in, or they actually are reinforced at nighttime. And that means that you become more proficient at that movement. It becomes almost second nature. Mm. And so in part, when you sleep, you're actually able to help um, embed those pathways. So from a skilled perspective, that that is uh, super important. Sure. That was that was pretty much what Rick was saying as well, wasn't it? Mm. That when one of his techniques to go to sleep was to think through the training that he'd done um, during the day and, and to try to reinforce that. So whilst going to sleep, that's going on in his head. Yeah, exactly. So that actually has a, a, a dual role because on one hand, by picturing a specific movement, you're actually using some of those neural pathways, which is really helpful. But the other thing that he's inadvertently doing there is that one of the reasons we don't fall asleep easily is because we have a busy mind. Sometimes it's just ruminating on things. Sometimes it's worrying. Sometimes um, one of our clients uses the word, I have a grasshoppering mind. I love that. It's just jumping around all over the show. And so by doing the visualization that um, Rake has described, it's actually a way of focusing um, your mind and shutting out the, the fluff around the outside. And that certainly can help put you into a space where you're more likely to be able to fall asleep than if your mind is all over the place. Hmm. You were asked a little bit about the, the travel issue because that's a big I, one in sport. Obviously, you know, high-performance athletes who are traveling all over the world to their competitions, how much does the, the, the feeling of, of jet lag influence them, Diane? Yeah, jet lag is a big, a big factor, and um, there's a couple of things that we can think about it. So there's when we travel, there's good old travel fatigue. I mean, there's just having to sit in an aeroplane with many people and travel sometimes for up to a day to get to to where you're going. But when we speak about jet lag, we're really um, looking at what's happened when we've traveled east or west across multiple time zones, and we've disrupted our body's um, circadian rhythms. And so we know that the symptoms of jet lag begin to sort of manifest once we've crossed at least three time zones going either east or west. And what happens is that you arrive at your new destination and you are now on your home body clock or your body clock is on your home time. And you need to now resynchronize to something which could be eight, 10, even 12 hours out of sync. And so the symptoms of it, of jet lag are the um, things that happen to us when we desynchronize our body clock. And uh, that can be quite debilitating. It um, interferes with our sleep. It interferes with our physical and um, cognitive capacity, which obviously impacts training in the new time zone. Um, and, and we need some time to recover from it. And um, we'll chat a little bit now about sort of strategies to do that. But also just one thing to consider is that we actually notice that in um, humans, when we travel west, we recover slightly more quickly than if we've traveled east. And there are a number of uh, reasons for that. But essentially, when we're traveling west, we're having to what we call delay our body clock. And so that means make it slightly longer to match the new time zone. And that's actually easier for our bodies to do 
than if we've traveled east and we have to advance our clock. And what that means in practical terms is that we actually have to go to bed when it's maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. So it doesn't really feel like we're ready to go. <laughs> um, so for that reason, we, we, we take an extra day or two to recover when we've traveled east v west. And the basic rule of thumb, although it's not the same for everyone, is that for every time zone crossed beyond three time zones, you need approximately a day to, to fully recover. Um, so what does this mean practically for athletes? Ideally, then athletes would travel quite well in advance of, of an event so that they've had time to recover and get their training back up again before they compete, um, as well, not to mention, obviously, making sure that they're not sleep deprived going going into the event. Um, of course, that comes down to practicality and cost, you know, sort of teams or athletes that don't have the funding would, I mean, every day that you're away, it's a hospital, hospital, it's a hotel um, bill, it's um, it's food in a, in a strange place. I mean, there's all sorts of things to consider. So it's not always practical, but certainly the, the teams that um, are well financed will always make sure that they travel well in advance so that the athletes can acclimatize. So I don't know if you want to chat a little bit about the the, the, the tips for athletes to, to resynchronize. Yeah, but before you get into that, I, I'm always interested because you talked a bit about the jet lag and obviously your body's got to adapt to the certain time zones. If you, you talked a bit about larks and owls as well previously, is it possible? And you look at, like, for instance, if you're staying in the same country, competitions we know in certain countries start at different times. For instance, in cycling here in South Africa, most events start early in the morning. In Europe, they start at midday, basically. Can you change being a lark or an owl? In other words, are you genetically born like that or are you able to change that pattern? In other words, when I was I an owl five years ago and suddenly I want to become a lark because I want to be able to train in the morning. <laughs> okay, so a large component of your propensity to be an owl or a lark or anywhere in between the good old neither type is genetically driven. So we have a number of um, uh, clock genes that we call them, which can have um, variants in them, which makes your clock slightly earlier or slightly later. So um, that is primarily set. But we think about this owl lark, um, sort of what we call this phenotype on a continuum from extreme night owls on one side to extreme morning types on the other. And so, yes, your genetics places you somewhere on that continuum in a ballpark area. But then through conditioning, one absolutely can shift your chronotype a little bit um, to be a little bit earlier or a little bit later. So we typically find with athletes through um, repeated early morning wakings for training sessions, high training volumes, and therefore big fatigue at the end of the day, they do often shift slightly towards the more morning oriented um, part of that continuum. And then when they pay back their sleep debt and recover and stop training, they might shift back to their natural timing again. Hmm. Um, so that's one way to think about it. But um, I mean, do we know, for instance, whether larks are more successful in sport than owls purely because they're able to wake up in the morning? When I think mm -hmm. about particularly in sport, if you, you know, if everybody goes to school sport, they're doing swimming before school in the morning and athletics before school, particularly when they're talented. If you are naturally predisposed to be a, a night owl and, you're waking, and you can't get up and operate early in the morning, mm -hmm. I'd imagine that larks are more likely to be successful as sports people. So we've looked into this and to some extent, yes, your chronotype is absolutely one of the predictors of, of performance. However, I'm going to caution this really carefully. It depends on the time of day at which you would normally compete. So when we speak about cyclists and runners and Ironman triathletes, they often have very early morning events. And so often early morning training, 
Um, and these all favor the, the lark, the early person, with, without a doubt. And in fact, we've done studies which show that um, in South African marathons, um, the larks tend to outperform the owls. And we mm. would think that that is because events are earlier, it's at their preferred time of day, and um, they can tolerate those early morning training sessions better, and they can actually get more out of themselves when they train in the mornings. Um, we've looked at similar studies in the Netherlands where the marathon timing is quite a lot later, and there we don't see quite such a strong favoring towards the, the, the morning people. And we've also looked at um, rugby players, uh, Super 15 uh, rugby players. And there we don't see this massive bias towards morningness because rugby matches take place at any which time, actually very often towards the end of the day. Mm. And so it's not necessarily um, uh, important that you are um, a lark or a morning person. The other thing to consider is like what time of day should an, an athlete train? And this has very a lot to do with one's chronotype. So the thinking is, is that if you're a night owl, night owls hate exercising in the morning. I cannot um, <laughs> emphasize that anymore. Um, it is far better that they sleep in and that they don't go to those early morning training sessions. In fact, that's quite destructive. So rather let them train at the end of the day, regardless when they're gonna perform. They'll get more out of their training sessions and they will therefore adapt more. Whereas morning types, super happy to train in the morning. Uh, they don't particularly like training in the evening. They've run out of steam and they would rather just be relaxing by that stage. So you wanna train in sync with your body clock. And of course you wanna train um, more or less whenever your events are. So for the night owl who decided to take up marathon running, what a silly call. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that night owl needs to do the most of his training or her training at the end of the day, but they will need one or two morning sessions here or there just so that their body knows what that's like and because that's the time of day that they will be competing. Sure, that's fascinating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So let's talk strategies. Uh, first of all, strategies on getting good sleep for athletes, and then maybe we can you can also in, embellish a little bit on that whole issue around uh, jet lag. So well, actually, I'll just talk about the, the average person, what the, the good the good habits, the good things they need to consider. Okay, cool. So in terms of good sleep, um, everybody thinks about duration. And yes, you want to be in the ballpark. Um, I mean, obviously, you can't get away with five hours of sleep and be an athlete and hope that that's going to turn out well for you because it's not um, over time. Mm -hmm. So you want to be in the ballpark for duration, but far more important than duration is quality. Quality is actually very, very difficult to measure because duration, we can all... So we know what time we went to bed and what time we woke up. It's it's easy. But what, what in the world does quality actually mean? And so quality might include duration, but it also includes things like um, continuity. So, you know, how disrupted is your sleep? So you definitely want to make sure that as much as possible, you're having one continuous nocturnal sleep, as we've mentioned, and that you're not having to wake up for any reason. So if you've got a pesky dog that is going to keep bugging you during the nighttime, the strategy is that that dog needs to not be anywhere your, near your bedroom at nighttime. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, there's instances where we can't control uh, sort of what wakes us in the night, but to be as um, continuous is, is very important. The other thing um, to consider is the actual regularity of your sleep. And this is now gaining huge traction. Um, so what we look for is how similar or how close are your bedtimes in any given week and your wake up times in any given week and therefore the duration of your sleep. And the rule of thumb is that you want no more than about an hour and a half duration between your earliest and latest bedtime and earliest and latest uh, wake up time. So this consistency or this rhythmicity is important for two reasons. Firstly, helps your body anticipate sleep better. So it knows, cool, this is what we do. We go to sleep at this time. 
And secondly, it helps in train your body's circadian rhythms, funnily enough, which is um, a really important component of healthy sleep too. <laughs> and so then the last component that we can control is also sleeping in sync with your body clock. So just picking a bedtime and a wake time that makes sense for your own um, body clock. There are loads of other strategies that people talk about, and I'm going to leave that for now, which are sort of the things that you do during the daytime, mm-hmm. the hygiene-related things. Um, uh, but I think that it, the things that you can really clearly control are those that I've just mm-hmm. spoken about. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later in one of our podcasts on the line. Well, thanks very much. I mean, it is, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, for all of us who are amateur athletes, I guess there's aspects of that which we can take in as amateur athletes that also, but obviously for professional athletes, there's a much more serious component because it, it does lead to good performance if you are sleeping well, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Delray, thanks very much for your time. Dr. Jill Warner, thank you very much again. And uh, we'll see you on our next podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.